0: Deadly germs are creeping over the Earth, killing every human in their path
1: his administration provides sobering projections of just how deadly the coronavirus pandemic know, may be in the United States, the Donald Trump and, you know, and the Americans, Americans. Really convinced that is to, to the, the going to be a big the a the the White House projected that people who die, even if Americans follow social distancing
2: I've given up on my feature documentary film. It's the magnum opus I've poured my heart, soul, and money into since 2016. And in the middle of a coronavirus, it feels suddenly, intensely irrelevant. and the film was almost done. It was a tight 90-minute edit. It would have been done by the 2020 elections. I guess I'm glad I got this far before I gave up. I guess I'm also glad this whole global pandemic thing is happening now and not, like, in the 1990s. Me, my family, we're okay. We're healthy. We haven't lost our jobs, well, yet. Our food supply is secure. And it's spring in North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) And man, we've got amazing information technology to keep things going. Imagine this whole global pandemic thing with just dial-up. Yep, Infotech is the hero of the hour. But let's think about Infotech in 2016, just four years ago. That's when I started working on the film. Half of the film was about Infotech, specifically, malicious bots on social networks. A lot of researchers, policymakers, and industry leaders were sounding the alarms. Information technology, and social media in particular, was changing society in fundamental ways. We all could feel it, but it was just moving so fast. I mean, cat memes, am I right? <laughs>
3: oh. oh, the kitty is trying to play with this dress. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh it's like, no. It's
4: doing, it's doing, um. Sit-ups with the car. It's not a smart idea, but okay. (laughs) Some odd workout
0: goals.
2: Paolo Parigi teaches in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Stanford University and is the lead trust scientist for Airbnb.
5: We do things with the technology that we have because we can without having completely understood that the consequences of what we're doing will extend way beyond the screen on your telephone.
2: In 2018, that screen on my telephone seemed increasingly dicey. Now, two years later, in the microcosm of my house under lockdown, that telephone is my social lifeline.
5: We kind of lack ethical guidelines, a language that can uh, help us understand what we're doing. And so I think that's a big challenge. That's really a big challenge. And I'll put that as the first challenge.
2: In January 2018, I conducted my very first interview with Dr. Samira Sheikh, Assistant Professor of Cognitive Science in the Department of Computer Science at my own institution, UNC Charlotte.
0: Information has the capacity to change behaviors. It has the capacity to change attitudes and therefore change behaviors. And that is a very dangerous route that we have embarked upon. We do not yet understand how technology is affecting our behaviors on a day-to-day basis. So because we do not understand how technology affects behavior, that's where the danger comes from. We have to first understand it to be able to know why we are doing certain things, why humans are engaging in certain types of behaviors.
2: The film was going to be called Familiar Shapes, by the way. It was going to be about social bots, AI, and infotech. But it was also going to be about early modern witches and their diabolic familiars. It was going to be about cunning folk and magic, and how we still believe in magic today. Weird, I know. But I'll be connecting those dots over these next episodes. Because here's the dirty truth. When I set out to make familiar shapes, I wasn't trying to be journalistic. I had a goal. of us who got their news on phones and tablets and social media to slow the heck down. I wanted us to really consider what we were consuming online, to really weigh the impact of every single like and click and upvote. Yeah, but today, in 2020, today I'm liking and clicking and sharing cat memes with abandon. And I know better. But social media isn't just a supplement to my community interactions. It's my only social space right now. Every time I like a video or share an article, I wonder what is Facebook going to do with all this global pandemic data? I mean, criminy, what is Cambridge Analytica going to do with it? Oh, remember them? Cambridge Analytica? Yeah, no, most people don't either. It's okay. We'll get into them in another episode. My very second interview was with Douglas Guibo. When we spoke, Douglas was a Ph.D. student at the Annenberg School of Communication at the University of Pennsylvania. Word on Twitter is that he'll be an assistant professor at Berkeley this fall.
4: The, the design of the platform is the design of a kind of cognitive infrastructure for how we evaluate information and, and the behaviors we, we develop. And as a result, these companies are really responsible for the emergence and evolution of a a set of social norms about information exchange and information consumption. And that is a huge, huge source of power. And um, with great, you know, that that comes with great responsibility. Paolo
2: Parigi again.
5: But these are private companies. And so, again, it raises other questions. One thing that is really dear to my heart now is to truly uh, make people uh, understand, people who are in this world, in this tech world, that we are building a technology that is reshaping society in some very profound ways. Because of that, we can create a more inclusive society, for example, that reduce biases, or we can ignore all these, or even worse, we can encourage of this and uh, unfortunately there is some um, people in, in power now that are clearly manipulating the information and that's a really unfortunate um, because it, it damages the uh, the greater good at the end so we are engineering a lot of the social world that uh, we experience and in a, a, let me make an analogy here. Um, in the same way as architecture, engineers the physical space. And so here, you know, obviously the way how you interact with people in an office building uh, has a lot to do with the way how the office, build, the office the building, sorry, is shaped and designed. Now, carrying on that analogy into the world of social interaction. I think that technology is now also creating a space uh, where we are shaping the type of interaction. So, we are creating a new social world and shaping it. And I think, I don't know how much of this is understood or how how much people are aware of that.
2: Okay, enough tech fearmongering for a second. That's one reason I gave up on the film, actually. Online spaces were so different in 2018, even if human behavior is still the same in 2020. But COVID-19 makes the context of social spaces totally different. You see, Familiar Shapes was about these two different things coming together to make a third thing. Half of the film was about information technology, malicious social bots, and how these facilitate the spread of misinformation, disinformation, clickbait, and all the other ways that information can get kind of messed up online. But the other half of the film, oh boy, I won't lie, that's where my heart's at. The other half was about early modern witches, their familiars, magic, magic, But it was also about how the movable type press shaped and reshaped the idea of the witch. How the press in the 1600s was a lot like social media today. Like a lot of kids, I was fascinated by witches and magic and those time-life books about the occult. And, like a lot of kids, I learned that early modern witch trials happened because of moldy, psychedelic bread and. Random bouts of mass hysteria. <laughs> but in researching for this film, I learned that the dynamics of the early modern witch trials were a lot more nuanced and a lot more real. 1620 or 2020 the mechanisms that led to the early modern witch trials are still very much with us today. As Mark Twain supposedly said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. I interviewed Samuel Woolley in 2018 on that same three-day sprint to San Francisco when I interviewed Paolo Parigi. Today, Sam is assistant professor in the School of Journalism at the University of Texas, Austin. And
4: just like during the time of the witch trials where religion was used as a means to manipulate public opinion and to turn people against their own neighbors, so too is religion being used as a means for spreading dis and misinformation in the modern age. Not much has changed. The mechanisms through which we do this have changed. Like bots use automation and they use anonymity to drive fear and to stoke fear, and to magnify, amplify it, and to suppress it in some circumstances. The same tools that were used when the witch trials were going on are very much the predecessors of the tools we see getting used now. So the printing press and uh, innovation surrounding the creation of mass market books uh, drove the Protestant-Catholic divide and drove people's perception of heaven and hell and uh, what reality was. And the internet today is, is, a, is a very much amplified version of that kind of technology, wherein you can access um, superstition much more quickly. You can access bad information very quickly. Um, in some ways, if you think about it, it was as scary then to to have powerful elites building books and distributing them as it is now to having like you know powerful elites but also everyday sorts of people doing the same thing
2: see My film wasn't really about fake news or real news. It was about who is spreading ideas, how, and why. New information technologies are always used and abused to leverage power. The trope, if it bleeds, it leads, was as true then as it is today. The problem is, sensational information can have very real effects on people's lives, And misinformation can kill. This happened during the early modern witch trials. It happened in 2017 to the Rohingya in Myanmar. And there are certainly pockets of misinformation about coronavirus today. Information has power. And misinformation has consequences. In May 2018, I got an artist residency at the Museum of Witchcraft and Magic in Boscastle, Cornwall. My last week there, I rented a car and drove a sort of giant sloppy loop around London to interview historians for the film. Marion Gibson is Professor of Renaissance and Magical Literatures at the University of Exeter.
3: The history of witchcraft is really relevant to us today. People are still being accused of witchcraft in the wider world around us. If it's not happening in our countries, it's certainly happening in other countries. So that's important. But beyond that, I think that that the the impulses that prompted witchcraft prosecution really haven't gone away. There is still a desire to scapegoat other people and blame them for our troubles, whether that's immigrants or women or people in a different political party from us. There's still that desire to attack other people for no particularly good reason. And there's still a sense that there is evil in the world, which there most certainly is. But how to locate it, how, how to embody it, what you do when you believe something is evil... One of the things you might do is incarnate another human being and try to get rid of them for those reasons. So this is a really important theme in today's society and you will see politicians very regularly accusing each other of witch hunting. That isn't an accident. Um, Whether or not we believe the people being hunted are in fact the victims or the, the oppressors is kind of irrelevant. The fact that the word still exists in political discourse tells us how relevant witchcraft is today.
2: When we can't understand why something happens, we nevertheless try to find a reason, even if we have to fabricate it. I see this with COVID-19 conspiracy theories, from the political, to the economic, to the racial. And they're all founded on fear. Fear and the desire to put something under our control. The University of Hertfordshire was at the top of my big loop of London, and I spoke there with Professor Owen Davies.
1: Uh, and I'm someone who really believes that, that it's innate. A lot of these fears, notions, magical thinking is part of the human condition. And if the environmental or social circumstances arise, whereby people start accusing witches again, I think it could happen. Whether it's in catastrophic environmental change and human depletion, or whatever it is, you know, and we see scapegoating as a fundamental part of it. The human condition. So, you know, the idea that we've moved beyond, I think, is, is is really problematic, both for understanding the past, but also for how we view
2: our own contemporary society. Miriam Gibson again.
3: You see so many horrible stories from the past about witches being persecuted, and then after a bit, you realise this is also happening in societies around the world now and you get to thinking nothing changes. And and undoubtedly change is possible because some societies have stopped persecuting witches, but the exact mechanisms of those changes are opaque and they took hundreds of years to work themselves through. And all of this is rather sad and makes me a little bit sad about the human need to persecute. It'd be nice to think that wasn't always happening. I can't think of any examples where it isn't, though.
2: The film got started after the 2016 elections and referendums. The word "bot" kept coming up, and I didn't know what it meant. So I decided to fix that. I learned that these little pieces of automated software were just sort of dancing around on social media. They were mostly pretty simple, mostly helpful. Tweeting the weather, that sort of thing. But it was easy to make these little software robots do things that were kind of, mm, ethically sketchy. Liking all of a celebrity's posts, for example. Not terrible, but definitely not honest. and then other bots were downright harmful, like armies of bots that would infiltrate friend networks and then start blowing up their feeds with dangerous conspiracy theory memes. Yeah, that actually happened. Because I'm queen of poor multitasking, I was also reading histories of early modern Europe, mostly about the beliefs in magic, God and the devil, and about the witch trials. A lot of it was depressing, but, I also found it weirdly comforting. I liked knowing that belief in magic didn't die out with the Enlightenment. In fact, magical practices have been with us as long as we've had written records and are still with us today. And magic has often lived in harmony with science. At times, magic was a science. And then, I started seeing this odd little poetic parallel between the malicious bot and the witch's familiar. I wondered, is this just my weird artist brain drawing connections where none exist? Or is there something actually there? So I started calling up researchers all over the world. Historians, computer scientists, sociologists, ethnographers, philosophers, communications technologists, and on and on and on. And I said to each one of them, hey, so I see this parallel between a bot and a witch's is familiar, like crazy, I know. But what do you think? And over the course of almost 100 phone calls and another couple dozen interviews, a picture emerged. That picture was going to be my film. In this podcast series, the remnants of what would have been my feature film, I'll be painting you a series of stories from history and technology as we chase down bots and familiars, human behavior and industry, magic, and science. These sound like totally disconnected things, I know. Just a bunch of polar opposite pairs. But that's not really the case. Most of the researchers I spoke with mentioned at some point the importance of working with other scholars outside their discipline. That to solve the big problems, more creative solutions came from the intersection of disciplines. Tim Wenninger is associate professor in the College of Engineering at the University of Notre Dame in the Department of Computer Science and Engineering. I'm a computer scientist,
1: and I'm not a sociologist, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a journalist, but I think it, it's really interesting that computer science becomes a part of this conversation. It's a problem that computers and the Internet and the Web have created. Um, does computer science have a hand in it or not? I don't know. Do we we play a part in the solution? I think computer scientists do play a part in the solution. Um, But we need help. We need help from the digital humanities. We need help from the sociologists, from the psychologists, from the journalists. Um, We can't do it alone. We might have created this problem on our own, but we can't fix it ourselves. So we need help from everyone to, to solve this problem. But I think a lot of the interesting research that exists moving forward will come, not just between computer science and sociology, but between uh, all the disciplines. That's where f- new fields arise. Bioinformatics, between computer science and biology. Bioinformatics is a new field that exists. Um, computational social science nowadays, between sociology and computer science, it's, it's a new field.
2: Samira Shaikh again.
0: And one way to do that is to have more cross-disciplinary collaborations with people who understand human behavior, who study human behavior, who have been studying these things for a long time. So people from psychology, people from political science, from uh, anthropology and sociology, all these different disciplines have a lot of uh, insights to help computer scientists make better algorithms, make better technology. Uh, that would help to alleviate this problem.
2: Samira spoke with me about misinformation and malicious bots in online spaces. But when I think about the big problems of today, it all comes back to the novel coronavirus. Yet, because of the information technologies I have at my disposal, I can still do my job online. My kid can still meet with his teacher and I can salvage this film into a podcast. I know humans can do devastating things with new technologies, but they can also be incredibly kind, caring, even altruistic. In this global pandemic lockdown, Information technologies have connected millions to the sciences and the arts and connected those two back to one another. This is all really scary, but I kind of feel more hopeful than ever. In the next episode of Familiar Shapes, we'll meet one of my favorite bots gone wrong, a cunning man accused of witchcraft, and take a crash course in the history of information technologies. This is Heather Freeman. Thanks for listening. Until next time, be safe and well. (laughs)
3: Oh, <laughs> my